I mean, and again, I, it is going to sound weird. It's going to sound real weird because it is weird. I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I'm a mess, but I look back at the uh, minute I watched the clip of the Minneapolis miracle when Stefan Diggs caught that pass and he went streaking down. And then afterwards, the entire stadium started doing that skull chant. And just you watch it and you're just like, God, I miss sports. I just miss it so much. I just miss like the environment of 40,000 people, like just screaming skull, skull. I mean, just it, it brought a tear to my eye. It's like, I miss it so much. And just having a piece of that in that, like being in your living room, being around people that are passionate is, it's one of the greatest feelings in the world. Jeremy, my friend, how are we doing? Benny boy, we are doing quite wonderfully. How are you? Excellent. I'm, 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 I'm surviving. I'm surviving. I'm looking forward to Cleveland uh, coming up here soon. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yes. Yes. By the, uh, by the time our listeners are listening to this, we'll be deep into some no good doing uh, in the old 1035. It's going to be very That exciting. is right. The Padres got up to some no good doing, don't you think? They got up to some very, very no good doing. Um, they, I mean, they're going to win a World Series in the next three years. Um, it's been crazy. I, people have been saying that, and I'm going to, I'm going to be the contrarian. I'm going to say it's time to, it's, it's really, really time to pump the brakes on that because I can't even, for, I can't firmly say that they're the best team in their division. Like, I can't. So that's what everyone, I'm like, all right, let's have some fun. But I don't think they're better than the Dodgers right now. I don't think they are. I don't think they are better than the Dodgers. But you just got to squeeze into a wild card spot if you don't win that division. And then you got to play the Dodgers. And at that point, your record is 0-0. And we saw them give the Dodgers, you know, a challenge this past year. And going into, they just gave the Dodgers a challenge and they're going to get to play them again next year, except with the addition of two Cy Young winners and one of the best Asian prospects that we've seen in a couple of years. Um, and, and if the, and if baseball wants to go really, really crazy, then why not throw Trevor Bauer in that mix? I saw him tweet today. Um, he just said, Padres fans, how are we feeling? So he, he likes teasing the fan bases like that, but I would not put it past him. Like he said, he's, he's been very open about this. He wants to sign one-year deals, two-year deals, and he wants to go win, win multiple World Series. And, you know, I, with him being in Cincinnati this, this past year, I don't think he's a, you know, I, I, even though he was the obvious ace of the staff, I don't think he's a uh, guy that's like, I need to be the clear cut number one. Um, I think, although he would be still, even with Darvish and Snell on the team. Um, but shoot, man, like how could you turn down three, your top three, your top three starters are Cy Young winners. And so I personally think that would be a tremendous move for Bauer. And again, like you said, they still, somebody tweeted something about being a super team. They still would in no way be a super team. But they would be as, as big of a big-name team as any other team in baseball. 
which is which is the most exciting part. And of course, you do have the the ones that are going to stick around for the next several years. Ideally, Tatis Jr., um, the Korean second baseman, is supposed to be. Uh, I can't remember how old he is. He might be 28, 26, 28. Um, but he's he's in. They're intending to lock him up for I think five years. And so they've got that young core. But if you throw in the these these you know other players into the mix they're going to be dangerous. And so what they've done, what is in black and white so far is tremendous, but I can't help but get a little ahead of myself and think about the possibility of Bauer going there too. I think it would be just be incredibly exciting. It would be so exciting. And Bauer has done, if, if anything, he might have jumped the shark in my mind. Like he used to be really cute on Twitter. And I think he just won that poll that that uh, baseball guy did best baseball personality on Twitter. I think he beat Jared Carabas from uh, Barstool. And I love Trevor Bauer on Twitter. I do. He, he, I think he's just, to me, I don't put any stock into when he goes, Oh, Dodgers fans, Padres fans. You know, what do you think? He's just been doing that. I think he jumped the shark a little bit with that. And yeah, that second baseman that they got, he is, I mean, I don't think he's going to be a hall of famer don't, but like he's going to be a contributor for the Padres. He could be for the next 10 years. But and what it also it really, really makes things super interesting is what do you do with the I believe the reigning rookie of the year, Cronenworth? Um, people are saying you move him to left field. I, I disagree with that. I think that he's an excellent middle infielder. I don't know. I mean, I don't know him that much. I've only seen him play second base. And, you know, I don't think you move him to left field. What you could do is you could trade him. Um, I think what you could do. Um, you know, cause they also like, you mentioned Bauer. I don't think they're going to sign Bauer and that's because they already have five pretty darn good pitchers. You Darvish, they have Blake Snell now, they had Mike Clevenger and then they have Denilson Lamette and they have Chris Paddock. If Chris Paddock's your fifth starter, you're doing just fine. You have a, you have a pretty darn good rotation. Um, you know, they want to go get Bauer, uh, then they trade Paddock, but Paddock's on a uh, friendly contract. He's only getting 500000 a year, and he's going to be in arbitration next year. I mean, I think it's just a very team-friendly deal. That being said, I think they're 100% out on Bauer. Now, if, they're, if I'm wrong, that's awesome. That's going to be such a fun pitching staff uh, because Denilson Lamette doesn't get the credit that he deserves because he is a stud, an absolute stud, and he is there arguably – their fourth starter that rivals any pitching staff I've ever seen ever. I mean, this is, it's got the name power and the star power of when the Phillies signed Roy Oswalt and their top four were Oswalt, Halliday, Hamels, and Cliffley. That's just the type of name power that, you know, is right there. Uh, they have Frank, they have Tatis, they have Machado, they have Hosmer, they have Will Myers. They have all these guys that are really solid contributors. I think they have an excellent team. I think that they have one the makings of uh, one of those teams that wins 102 games and is the wild card. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, it's unfortunate because I, I think this Dodgers team is incredible because I, I'm looking at it and it, it's, it always shocks me in that um, how old do you think Clayton Kershaw is? Isn't he 30, 30, 32? He's going he's gonna to turn, he's 32, almost 33. 
I would have thought he was like 37. I would have thought he was Max Scherzer's age. No, he he's going to be 33 in two months. He's so young. He's like Bumgarner young. I mean, he's got so many years left. Kershaw, I mean, he has so many years left if his back holds up. He's getting pretty injured regardless. They have Walker Bueller. I mean, they have a bullpen. They have bats. They're so good. This Padres team is really, really fun. They need a bullpen. That's it. They get You get them a bullpen, you sell a bullpen, I don't know what this team can't do. But right now, I think that's where the Dodgers beat them, and that's the bullpen. That being said, this is so much fun. I mean, I've never – I haven't seen an offseason like this since the Yankees when they signed Teixeira, CC Zabathia, and that, that bitch, A.J. Burnett. Um, this is just a splash that we haven't seen in forever, and it's really, really fun. The, the other thing I want to I be a little bit of a downer about is I want to pump the brakes on you, Darvish, as well. Uh, I really want to pump the brakes. Um, I believe you mistakenly called him a Cy Young winner. He has never won a Cy Young. This was by far his best year. And it's not really, um, it's not really close. He's been good, but he has not been elite. He has had elite uh, strikeout numbers, but he hasn't really had that dominant, uh, ERA stuff. He's a career 3.5 ERA. I don't call that like a super stud. Like he's he's got a really good K's. His career whip is 1.16. He's a good pitcher. Maybe a three. He's not like a top of the end, oh my God, shut down number one. He pitched like that and he clearly has that type of stuff, but this is the only year he's put up these numbers. I mean, he put in a shortened season, he had 2.01 ERA a 0.96 whip that's a full 0.2 better than his career that could be a one-off year so i like him i like it i don't think they gave up too much for you darvish i i really don't i mean he's 34 years old i think they gave up an appropriate amount for you darvish it makes a lot of sense for this team to go out and get you darvish blake snell was a thing that really impressed me blake snell is a monster he gets strikeouts he can learn and I, but I want to see what he's like outside of that terrible, terrible monstrosity of an analytics team that the Rays is. Yeah, yeah, it's just going to be so interesting. And I agree with what you said about the bullpen. The Dodgers' bullpen is tremendous. Um, Joe Kelly, Kenley Jansen, and they have a number of middle relief guys. And so that is what makes them elite because you – as good as their starting rotation is, you would love to get seven, eight innings out of those guys. But for those outings that you're going to get six, you've got to stack the rest of that game and you've got or staff the rest of that game. And that's where they kill you because you're getting different looks from pitchers that just have such different styles and they're all elite. And so I agree with that. That's what the Padres need, but I just can't wait to see them get on the field. Um, I'm just excited to see it and see how these new additions can make that team even more exciting because the hype train was really around them last year. And I mean, you guys, like you said, you Darvish, you know, he's a, he's a great pitcher to whip, but he just has run into some runs and 
I've just got to say that he's, he's an attractive pitcher where, where he might not have um, crazy numbers, but he is in no doubt. He's a, he's a high strikeout pitcher and he just attracts excitement. He really does. And so um, it's just going to be awesome to see what that staff can do, what that lineup can do, because there, there was such a big hype train around them last year. And, and you and I last year were saying the Dodgers or that you were, we were saying when we were doing our MLB playoff predictions, we were saying the Padres are so exciting. We talked about them for 20 minutes and then the ending was, but the Dodgers are still going to play, still going to win the series. Um, and I think when we do our next playoff picture, we're going to be talking about the Padres again for another 15, 20 minutes. And then we're going to end it and say, this one will come down. This one will go to six or seven games and we'll see how it goes. Um, it's just going to be awesome. And I, I, I completely agree. I bet you they win 102 games, 100 plus games, and they're still the wild card because the Dodgers are truly at the point where they are just hoarding regular season wins. And so they're going to take that division, but the Padres are going to be on their heels. The Padres are going to be so great. And I'm just excited about that. There's so much to be excited about. And one thing, and this is something only I would get excited about. And it's the Blake Snell had a big, big, big callback to our episode. We talked about prospects, a big callback. And it had one of my prospects. And he, he is my poster boy, one of my poster boys of, of how long do you stay a prospect? And that was that Blake Snell got traded for a long Luis Patino, who is a superstar pitcher, Blake Hunt, Cole Wilcox, and Francisco Mejia, who you he's in he began his list on the prospects list, top prospects, 85 in 2016. In 2017, he was the 14th ranked prospect. In 18, he was in the 30s. He was traded for Brad Hand. This was a can't miss surefire prospect who has now been dealt as a prospect for a second time. Big callbacks. It's looking good. I, I, my hypothesis of if you're on that list three times, something you're not going to make it. And I think my hypothesis is continuing to do it. Francisco Mejia is a serviceable, more than serviceable, big league catcher who has a few major big league traits. He's got one of the best arms in the league. Doesn't He's a defensive catcher, which is great in this league. You can have a good career, but I, that was just one of those little things that only I'm going to smile at because the prospect that keeps getting dealt around as a prospect got traded again. It, it is a callback. And I almost, I almost brought it up earlier um, that he was, a, I saw, I saw that he was a part of that package and he could be put to good use in Tampa, but I agree with you. He's just, he doesn't have a home right now and he, he's a serviceable catcher, but the dude's going to hit eighth or ninth, wherever he goes is what it seems like it's looking like. And of course, there's a downward slope in offensive catchers and defensive, you know, the analytics show that a catcher that can limit base running can block balls. It's extreme. I mean, it's always been a strength of a catcher and you've needed to have those abilities, but it's, there's a trend where that's the value of that has gone up in the ability to be a stellar defensive catcher. And that's why you see guys like Jan Gomes 
bouncing around the league. And whenever he's signing with people, I mean, he's going and getting a world series ring and he's catching for the best, you know, the best pitchers in the game. I mean, he's caught for Corey Kluber. He's caught for Bauer or actually Bauer had somebody else, but you know, he's caught for Strasburg and Scherzer. And it's because he's elite at framing. He's elite at throwing runners out and, but he still bats seventh, eighth, ninth, wherever he goes, but that's okay. Um, so we'll see if that is something that Mejia could turn into, but I agree with you where he hasn't found a place that has a place for him yet. And again, it's the second time being dealt as a prospect. And so I totally agree. I almost brought that up that it is a callback to that. He's, he's, he's staying on that list of players to watch for a little too long. I think we might've, you might've said it verbatim in that episode that you can only be a player to watch for so long. If people aren't watching you at some point, then you're, you're starting to stall. Another thing, again, this could be, I think this would be a great uh, whole episode idea. And this would be a, you know, could be a very heavy, heavy baseball episode down the road is the idea of personal catchers. Cause you Darvis was traded with his personal catcher who only catches him. That's his only job. And he doesn't bounce up and down from the minors. He's on the team and he takes up a whole roster spot just to like occasionally give like your main catcher a day off, but then he catches you Darvish every time. I, I find that fascinating. I mean, John Lester very famously had David Ross, Greg Maddox, never pit, never uh, pitched to Javi Lopez, who was one of the young rising star catchers of the nineties. Having the all right, Dickey, Josh Stoll. I mean, you have these guys that have these personal catchers, and I just think that there's no, there's a way to like wrap my head around it. Of that, like we understand you're not very good. You are a below average backup catcher. That's not saying a lot, but you're worth a roster spot because you make it this pitcher that much better. You can get the very best out of our best guy. That's incredible. Just having that, you know, repertoire, having that comfortability, it's all. Awesome. 100%. The Indians used to do that too with Jan Gomes and Roberto Perez because both of them were not great offensive options. I mean, Roberto Perez this past year had one of the worst batting averages for a catcher ever. Might have been the second worst ever, but he's an elite defensive catcher. Jan Gomes, slightly better offensively, but elite defensive catcher. And they would switch them on and off. I believe Kluber pitched to Gomes and Bauer pitched to Perez. And then you also, then they, I don't know exactly what, what it was. I believe Jan was the, I believe Jan was the, uh, the starter. I might have that switched. Maybe, um, maybe Perez caught Kluber, but they, they did that same thing where they would be catching the same guys every time. And so of course, when Kluber or when Gomes was dealt first. So of course, when Gomes was dealt, um, <clears throat> he no longer caught Kluber, but when Kluber was dealt, he didn't go with Perez. So of course that wasn't the situation there, but I completely agree. If, if, if you're going to go out and you're going to get a pitcher that isn't absolutely essential to the staff that you're trying to build and part of that package deal is a catcher who hits eighth, and if your current catcher is able to, is that similar ability, then why not trade with them and platoon the guys? 
especially when your pitcher is pitching. So it makes sense. And again, I don't know if it'll be some big trend, but there are certain elite pitchers that need their catcher. And it wouldn't surprise me if that's something that, you know, we see a little bit more be just because of, of you doing that and other pitchers have done that too. So that, that'll be interesting. Yeah. I mean, just having that personal touch of a catcher in that relationship, because um, I've always thought like catchers are crazy, but pitchers are a different kind of crazy. Like catchers are like reckless crazy, but like pitchers are like, don't talk to him crazy. And it's like they pitchers are so finicky. And sometimes in order to pull the best out of the pitcher, it can be different. You got to be able to kind of work around them. You got to be on the same page. Like Max Serger knows what he wants to do. And if like you, like when you watch him pitch, if he shakes you off, like he gets mad. Like he's like, just get on the same page with me. I don't have time to, to do this dance with you. Get on the same page as me so we can like start doing some stuff. And like having a guy where you don't have to worry about that, I bet it just lets them get in that groove and absolutely cruise. Like Greg, again, I go back, Greg Maddox. One of the the best quotes that I ever heard from a baseball player is, you know, he was growing, he grew up, his dad was a blackjack dealer in Vegas. And one time when he was a kid, um, you know, he asked his dad, because sometimes, you know, he like, if you had a bad night, you got like, you dealers sometimes got in a little bit of trouble. He goes, so yes, are you ever worried about losing your job? And he goes, then like, no, the house always wins. All right, no matter what, I can have a bad month. I can have a bad year. I can have a bad day, I can do whatever. But eventually I will come out on top as the house. And Greg Maddox said, that's who I am. I'm the house. You will not be, again, you, I'm, you might get me this game. You might get me this week. You might get me this year. But by the end of it, you're gonna be mine. And that's how he thought. And having that elite focus, he has to have this catcher. He has to have his own catcher to be like, this is my guy. There is no question. Uh, and, and like the beauty of it in 19, <coughs> excuse me, in the year 2000, there were three catchers on Atlanta, Javi Lopez, and then two of Greg Maddox's personal catchers. He just, he and Javi Lopez didn't, it didn't work. And that's okay. Javi Lopez was a great bat back in the day, but they just didn't work. So you know, hey, Greg Maddox is Greg Maddox. Go out, get this catcher. We'll get the best out of him. And it's just incredible. Um, and it's so weird to have these guys that are like that because I remember I'm looking at this list. I pulled it up and I'm looking at Ryan Dempster for Florida in the year 2000, had himself a personal catcher. Years later in Chicago, I remember he had a personal catcher. He just must, it's just, it must be certain guys that like, I can't have Gary Sanchez catch for me. I just can't. I need to have the backup defensive catcher. I need, I can't have Carlos Santana catch for me. I need to have Roberto Perez. Roberto Perez just gets it. He's not worried about his bat. He's worried about me. And that's just must be kind of what it is, I guess. I completely agree. I mean, from a pitcher's perspective, um, I, I never experienced that in high school because there's one catcher on the team, more or less. You, you probably have a backup catcher, but that you're, you've got your number one catcher, and that guy's catching every game no matter what. But in college, we carried three catchers my freshman year and four my sophomore year. And so in bullpens and in games, I obviously didn't have a say on who caught 
but I threw bullpens. I threw flat grounds. I threw simulated games with a couple different catchers and no doubt I got along better with some of them and I had better relationships with some of them. And there are just certain catchers that you, maybe it's the way they, they call you. I think that's probably the primary, but there's, it, it goes down to things like the way that they frame your pitches. And that comes down to familiarity. You've got some catchers that are good framers, but a different part that are good framers, no matter what, but an additional aspect of being a good framer is knowing how your pitchers pitches are moving. And that's their responsibility. And sometimes you, as a pitcher, you just feel like a catcher gets you in a different way than the other catchers. And so that was interesting. I, I never experienced that till college. And I started to realize that I just like throwing to different catchers more and different catchers got me with the way that they called games and, and things like that. And if, like I said, of course it wasn't, you know, I was a bullpen pitcher and I didn't have the pull to request a personal catcher by any means. Um, but depending on our opponent who, what their pitching situation was, you know, the trends of our different catchers, we would rotate in too. And so, um, I, I definitely went out there with different mindsets, wanting to throw different pitches, being satisfied with the framing of my pitches differently with the two, with the two catchers that we had. And I'm, I'm looking back, I'm looking up this again. I'm on baseball reference and it's the term personal catcher. And they use a couple examples. And it makes sense. For two of them, it always made sense because the idea of the personal catcher was first introduced to me and I really understood it when I was young. And it was with Tim Wakefield, who was a knuckleballer for the Red Sox, who gave up that moonshot to Aaron Boone in the 03 <laughs> Yes, he did. Suck it. Um, and he had a, he had, he was a knuckleballer. So he had a personal catcher who had a glove and it was not a, a regular catching glove. I mean, the thing was massive. Thing was huge. Speaking of knuckleballers, Phil Necro also had a personal catcher as a knuckleballer. He just passed away. Very sad. He led a great life, fascinating pitch. He kept the knuckleball going for an entire extra generation when it, albeit it probably should have died, but you know, Rest in peace, Phil Necro. Never saw him play, only heard great things. He had, he had a personal catcher. Uh, Chris, Br Chris Bando caught for him. Uh, then you had a guy like Steve Carlton for the Phillies. Tim McCarver, the announcer, started 128 of Steve Carlton's 140 starts over, looking at this, it's wild, from 76 to 79. You don't get 140 starts in a decade now. That's incredible. But the Braves allowed Charlie, your cousin, Charlie O'Brien, not actually his cousin, to start 56 games, 28 starts for Steve Steve Avery and Greg Maddox. And Javi Lopez did everything else. Um, you're just able to get this out of them. For knuckleballers, it makes sense. It says that, you know, Jason Veritek, hate him, hate him, was one of the, was the V catcher for the Red Sox, but he was uncomfortable catching the knuckleball. I get it. It's really difficult. Right here, it says a specific, a specific example. In the rare case of a personal catcher for a lever, the Montreal Expos had Tim Seffer, who was a great reliever, but he had a forkball that was really nasty, and many catchers were uncomfortable catching it. So he had a personal catcher for a reliever. Obviously, my guess is just looking at that is he that you know he wasn't the average personal catcher. Like he was a little bit better. It's just it, it exists, and sometimes you're a specialty. Sometimes, hey, I can catch this knuckleball. You know, Jason Veritek's not going to come in and run, you know, throw a bullpen with Tim Wakefield because I need to work on these fastballs. I don't need to be, you know, dancing around for your knuckleball. 
I get that. That always made sense to me. But the guys like Greg Maddox, the guys like, uh, I mean, Steve Carlton, it's just, it's so fascinating because it's all mental. Pitchers are, it's mental. It's a mental game. And a lot of times it's a mental game against yourself. And it's, it's just so fascinating. It really is. Well, let's get into the meat of this episode, which is the college football playoff. Um, New Year's Day. It's going to, it's, it was criticized. The selection committee was criticized for it being stale outside of Notre Dame being in that that's the kind of the little variable that we get this year. Um, but you know, you, you could relate back to Washington getting in where it felt different. You got a different type of team in there. Um, it's most, it's mostly been the same. And um, of course people criticized it for not being as diverse this year, but in reality, are, are these the top four teams in the country? Are, is that something, of course, I, I think both of us realistically can, can reel out, I should say rule out Cincinnati being in there or anything like that. Um, it's fantastic. They had a fantastic season, but they are not one of the top four teams in the country. Do you think, we do have a couple though that could make arguments for that, namely Oklahoma um, and A&M. So do you think that these four teams that the committee put in as stale as it can be criticized for, do you think these four teams are truly the top four teams in the country that should be playing for the national championship? I, I don't really think it's a question. Uh, if Notre Dame doesn't beat Clemson early in the season, I think you can make a case for A&M. I think you make a really good case for A&M. The problem with it is, is it's insert here team here who's going to get pummeled by Alabama. Um, and I've said this before, and I stand by it. It's a little you know critical, but I think the reason that you see or UCF a few years ago didn't even have a remote chance of ever con being considered for the playoff is because of Notre Dame and that Notre Dame, whenever they've been in this spot, whether it be the national title game or the college football playoff or whatever over the past decade, they've gotten their shit pumped in every single time. It has not even been close. And I think right now there are three teams in this country there's Alabama, there's Clemson, there's Ohio State. Put them in whatever order, flip-flop them whatever year, those are the teams. And then there's a drop-off, and then there's a lot, a lot of really good teams. Um, I don't see anybody beating Bama this year at all. Maybe Clemson. Uh, I don't really – again, going in with OSU, they only played five games, whatever. They're the best team. Like, you watch that Big Ten that happened this year. It was Ohio State, a step below, and then the other teams. I mean, they were – easily the best team in the big 10 they were easily better than anybody in the pac 10 or pac 12 now i think they're better than oklahoma oklahoma stumbled out of the gate ohio state when they played poorly they still won i think that's a sign of a great team um so those are my top three teams and then you put in notre dame you you, you beat clemson and then you lost to clemson that's kind of what you expected um but you you beat clemson and then you lost to Clemson. I think that trumps Texas A&M losing to Alabama and then not getting a chance to face Alabama again. Um, a win against a Clemson and a loss against a Clemson is better than just losing to Alabama. Who do I think is would win Alabama – or I'm sorry, Notre Dame or A&M? I don't know. I, I'm going to say Notre Dame, but I can't be positive about that. I can see them both winning. I can see them both blowing the other team out, as weird as that sounds. These are the best four teams. I think that this year really shows that, and I think we're going to go to go there. I think the contract's up in 24, 2024. 
we're going to go to an 18 playoff. It just makes sense. It's, it makes sense to regain all of this revenue that they lost this year. It just flat out makes sense. And again, looking at it right now, call it, I, I think they may have slid to nine, but like it, it it's going to turn out the way that people want it to turn out almost every single time. And that the power, or I'm sorry, the group of five team Cincinnati will end up playing Alabama. So you get a test right out of the gate. Do you deserve to be here? And at the same time, by putting you at eight, we're not punishing you if you get blown out because you're the eight seed. You, you snuck in. Like, that's not going to hurt the next team. Like, if UCF would have snuck in as an eight seed, I still think UC, and, and they got, like, rocked, I still think UC would sneak in as the eight seed this time. It just makes sense. You're the best uh, group of five team. You deserve to be at eight. You don't deserve to be at four. Absolutely not. You're not better than Oklahoma. You're not better than Iowa State. Um you're not better than Texas A&M. Uh, not even a question. You're not better than Florida. Not a question. But you put them there at eight if you have eight teams. Um, that being said, I'm really excited to see the Ohio State game. Uh, and that's because I don't believe in Justin Fields. I never have. I don't, in, in that, I don't think he's a good quarterback to be a pro. I don't think he's going to be a good pro. Um, there's never been an Ohio State quarterback who's been a good pro. I don't like the style of Justin Fields. I think he's got a lot of Dwayne Haskins in him. He might make better decisions than Dwayne Haskins, but um, I, I look at it and there's two ends of the spectrum. I don't think Justin Fields is Deshaun Watson, but I also don't think he's Dwayne Haskins. And I think that those are the two ends of the spectrum of the style of play uh, that they have, which is very mobile, very active, and they win. Um, one of the big differences I see between Deshaun Watson and Justin Fields, however, and it's really going to show in this Clemson game is Deshaun Watson always elevated his competition when he played Alabama and he played all these good teams. Justin Fields sometimes struggles against the good teams. Sometimes I just don't see that intangible will to win that I saw with Deshaun Watson. I know that Dabo Swinney called Deshaun Watson, Michael Jordan. I mean, he just doesn't stop. And that's, that's a mindset. And I'm not saying that Justin Fields doesn't have that, but I just don't, like Sean Watson, it screams at you. Um, I just don't, it doesn't scream at me with Justin Fields, even though I do think he's better than Dwayne Haskins. It's just going to be real exciting. I think that's going to be the best game. I think Alabama wins by about, it might be three, four touchdowns against Notre Dame. And then I think Clemson wins by about 10 against OSU. It's just going to be a question. Is that 10, 21 to 10, or is that 48 to 38? If it's 48 to 38, that's going to impress me for Justin Fields. Um, but I think we're destined for, yet, yet again, Alabama-Clemson. I think so, too. Um, that Ohio State game, again, I'm glad that they're leading with the Bama game. Um, you know, that one is at 4 p.m. Eastern time, and Ohio State-Clemson is at 8 p.m. So, you obviously – you know, you would think the, the number one seed would be the one that gets the primetime game, but no, it's, and again, Notre Dame is seeing this as some sort of, uh, as a heck of a lot of motivation. Um, somebody asked, you know, Bama's got obviously a tremendous rush defense and uh, somebody asked the other day how Notre Dame is going to be able to, are they going to be able to run the ball? And Notre Dame's running back said, they'll have to kill us before we're not able to run the ball. 
something along that he said something they'll have to kill us for us not to be able to run the ball and um it seems like according to almost everybody that the response to that is good luck and best of luck to you um i think that's pro that's going to be a multiple multiple touchdown win for alabama um Ohio State Clemson I go back and forth I, I do think Clemson will will win but I go back and forth on on how much because Ohio State has a lot of hype going into this game a lot of chips on their shoulder um I I, I saw this from 100 miles away that the Big Ten was going to change their rules to make sure that they got that conference championship game that they could get into the playoff I saw that from 100 miles away um there's and and you could argue as they should have, because it's a, it's a money decision. It truly is the college football playoff payout for having a big 10 team in there is, is too much for the conference to just say, yeah, we can't add you. We can't add you. We can't add another game for you. Um, we can't get you into the conference game. And so that was a no doubter, honestly, um, you can make whatever argument you want, but I just think it was, it was inevitable. Um, but they've got that chip on their shoulder. They, People have counted them out and said that they shouldn't get in the conference championship. People have counted them out and said they played so few games, they shouldn't be a top four team. And meanwhile, Ohio State is sitting there saying, we know we're top four team with the talent. We might not have played the games, but we know we are with the talent that we have on this roster. And so they have a ginormous chip on their shoulder. Um, Dabo Sweeney rated them 11th in the, in the final uh, coaches poll. I mean, shoot. I mean, that's, that's just adding fuel to the fire. I mean, everything else this year has already been fueled to the fire. This is taking another can of propane and tossing it in there. Um, I mean, I can almost guarantee that they've got a picture of Dabo with uh, the coaches poll and their, their name number 11 circled on it in their locker room. I can almost guarantee that. And so they, that team is coming in red hot. And they both in, in terms and not in terms of streaking, they're coming in red hot in terms of mentality and anger. Um, that team is super, super eager, but I still think that the talent on Clemson's team is just so good. It's so good. Trevor Lawrence is just amazing to watch play the way he moves for his size, um, his decision-making his arm. I mean, he is so, so good. And Justin Fields is good too, but I, you know, you have different thoughts of him than I do. I don't really have an opinion on, on how he'll do in the NFL. Um, but we are seeing a battle of some of the top quarterback prospects for this coming draft. And so it's just going to be um, extremely exciting. Again, like you said, is it going to be a slow burn where these two teams are just busy, you know, slugging it out for the game? Or is it going to be a fireworks show where it's just returning punches throughout the whole game. It's not, it's not a slug fest, you know, this is a heavyweight battle. And so I'm excited to see what it is. I really am. So I want to bring up polls that I've run. So we ran a poll on our official Twitter account. It's at Ben and Jeremy's with an underscore at the end. Um, give us a follow on there. DM us if you follow us um, after hearing this shoot us a DM, um, ran a poll on there asking what the thoughts were on 
these games and the results. And so uh, for that 4 p.m. game, the Rose Bowl, fans were pretty overwhelmingly and unsurprisingly Alabama. Um, 81% of the votes went to Alabama. And I also ran polls on my Instagram, on my personal Instagram, and about the same, you know, 73 to 27 there. Um, so the ideas there, the, yeah, fan, I was gonna say. the fan consensus is unsurprisingly what we are. I think on ESPN, the fan consensus was over 80% Alabama as well. Um, and for Ohio State Clemson, I'm a little surprised with how, with how it went um, from the Ben and Jeremy's Twitter account. 52% Ohio State. Um, I think we have picked up um, a good handful of Cleveland fans in recent weeks. And so I think that that can contribute to it um, because now on my personal Instagram, it's 63% Clemson. So I think the followers, which that kind of surprises me too, because being from Ohio, clearly a lot of Ohio State fans um, that I follow and follow me, but more reasonable, I think, on the Instagram. Um, but it, it's very close on Twitter. And and by the end of the, by the time that that poll ends, I wouldn't be surprised if it evens out even more. Um, but interesting results on those polls, nonetheless. Um, obviously, the Twitter poll will be open for the next day, so go ahead and go vote on that. Um, it'll be one of our most more recent tweets, uh, if it's not the most recent, or if you don't see it on your timeline. Um, just go over it's at Ben and Jeremy's with an underscore at the end and vote in that. And we'll see how those progress um, as the poll runs out, but they're just going to be exciting games. I'm excited. I'm excited to watch them in Cleveland with you, with you and Connor and Colin. It's going to be awesome. Um, really it's, it gets the criticism that it's stale and the this this four or you should say this three plus whoever's going to get throttled by Bama is becoming um, boring. But this is so needed for what countless countless people across the country have sacrificed to make sure these games happen. Um, all the way from the top people trying to put money together to have these games and secure um, sponsorships and travel and everything like that and then all the way down to the people that are upkeeping these stadiums um it's so much sacrifice and i you know working in sports and seeing you know the behind the scenes in these arenas and stadiums and that's still only a glimpse that i have because the only parts i'm seeing is when i'm walking uh through the stadium to get to the press box i'm not going in the back um where the concessions people are and the stadium cleaners and whatnot so it's truly a sliver that I've seen, but there's so much going on behind the scenes. And so, and just in general, everybody, everybody is worn down from, from what's been going on. And of course, you know, you have to, I kind of want to acknowledge that if you're only worn down by the pandemic, then you're, you're lucky because a lot of people are physically affected by it and possibly, you know, people dying out there. So if you're only worn down and tired of it, then, you know, you're in a privileged spot right now, but um, a lot of people, it's just weighed on them. And so for sports fans to be able to have this, which is arguably, you know, the number, I mean, what would you put this? Would you put this the number three, the number 
three most exciting sporting event in, in American sports. Um, I would put the Super Bowl number one, but I don't know if I put the World Series up there. At least for me personally, I, I put it, I think college football is amazing. I love the pageantry behind it. And I love um, seeing the national championship. It's one of my favorite sporting events. But I just think in a year that's been as crazy as this, it's going to be so exciting to see this play out. Whether or not people are excited about the teams, um, at the end of the day, people are going to sit in front of their TVs and they're going to watch it. And whether it's with a couple people or whether it's Zooming people and having some drinks um, with your friends and whatnot, like it's going to be awesome. And social media is going to be buzzing over it. And you've got some of the absolute best athletes in college football across all these teams. It's just going to be super exciting. Yeah. And uh, the only reason I say no is because I think like I have like my, like my three favorite days of the entire year. Number one, like my favorite day of the year, uh, me last year, my fiance wanted to look at a wedding venue the morning of the Super Bowl. Like, and I was like, I told her, I was like, no, like, why? Like the Super Bowl's in 12 hours. No, we're not going. <laughs> it's like, I'm not playing in the Super Bowl. I, I have to watch the Super Bowl in 12 hours. No, I'm not leaving the house. <laughs> I ended up doing it. But then like, and this is, I'm going to be real honest with you right now, real honest with the listeners. The other day, like every now and again, I still get like incredibly sad that we missed March Madness in 2020. And I'll just watch like Gus Johnson's buzzer beaters in the March Madness. And like, I will literally tear up. Like, I just think it's the greatest two days. The first two days of the tournament are, oh, it's the best days of the year. I mean, the that like the Super Bowl is probably the best four hours of the year. I love the Super Bowl. Those two days, I don't think that like, there's not a two greater days of this year. Like this year, like on my birthday, like literally my fiance was like, what do you want to do? Like, I want to do nothing. It's it fell on a Sunday. I want to sit at home and I want to watch 12 hours of football and just not be interrupted. And she did. I was like, she, you know, at the end of the night, I went in, she was like, how was your day? I was like, it was a great day. I had a great day. Just watching football, doing nothing. That's what I like to do on those, um, on the March Madness days. So that's why I say the college football is not because it's not even in my top three because it's those two. I mean, nothing, nothing beats the Super Bowl and nothing beats those first two days. But this is one of the best spectacles. I mean, in all the sports, I'm getting into semantics. I'm fighting semantics with you and I'm fighting your point with semantics. It's incredible. It's the college football playoff. We've been like, I look back and I think about the BCS and I think about, I, I, we didn't even experience the time before the BCS. The BCS was better than what it used to be, but we used to get so mad at the BCS. Like they got it wrong. I wish this was happening. This isn't the best, like the second best team. Like you can make these arguments that who should be for, but we all agree they're going to lose to Alabama. Like whoever's four is going to lose to Alabama, whether it's Texas A&M, whether it's Oklahoma. I mean, whoever it is, as you get into the playoff to lose, like you give yourself a shot, but this Alabama team is awesome. And I, I'm going to give my official prediction and it's going to make a lot of OSU fans very angry, but I, I'm looking at these statistics, these team statistics, and I'm not looking at yards. I'm looking at one thing because I wanted to see, I looked at this Notre Dame team and I looked and something intrigued me. It, it was intriguing to me that Ian book got sacked 20 times this year. And I go, Oh, is that a lot? And I go, I go over to Alabama, Alabama in the sec. You know, they're Alabama, but they're in the sec. 
their quarterbacks got sacked a total of 16 times this year. I go, that's really good. That's like really, really good. So then I go over to Clemson and I go, and I see that they got sacked 18 times. And I go, that's pretty good. Like Trevor Lawrence only got sacked 13 times. And two of the sacks that they had were from guys who, you know, combined, they had 29 attempts. I mean, they came in in garbage time for the backup. And then I go to OSU and then I see that they got sacked 18 times, but then I remember they played half the games. They got sacked 18 times in half the games. They're going up against Clemson, looking at this Clemson team. All right. I'll, I'll give you other teams first. Notre Dame this year had 30 on defense, had 30 sacks, three a game. That's, that's pretty good. I'll give them that. Alabama, who's like, again, they're Alabama. Again, they're also in the SEC, 33 sacks. Clemson had 44 sacks this year, and their their top guys had two sacks each. That's a team that knows how to scheme and gets the quarterback. All right. If if Ohio State is on the equal pace, and that means that they're on for call it 36 sacks in a season, that's bad news. I think I was talking to some friends and like um uh, like they, they, albeit Sermon, he had a great championship game and he's better than Master T, but he had 675 yards. He had a great, he had 300 yards or whatever, almost 400, whatever yards this past game. So he had 300 yards last game, but he had 600 yards on the season. That's not a winning to me. Um, I, I've said, I don't trust Justin Fields. Looking at this, I shouldn't trust their offensive line. Running game is okay. I don't see this Ohio State team doing well. And I'm going to get a lot of friends and a lot of haters. And I hope I'm wrong because, I, you know, it's a lot of fun. I don't have a college football team. It's a lot of, lot of, lot of fun to watch college football with true college football fans of OSU. I've watched games and it's some of the best viewing experiences of my life when you're sitting next to two guys, three guys are your friends that are living and dying on every play like I do for the Lions. Like it's just a lot of fun to be in that environment. And I hope nothing more because I want to watch the national title game with them. I want to come back after I'm in Cleveland and watch the national title game. I want to watch Alabama OSU. I want to be in the room with them because that's such an electric experience. And I'm going to, you know, I'll shout out three guys, Sean McBride, Tom Solerick, and Michael Hauser. I mean, they are just electric Ohio State fans. And there's so much fun to watch a game with because you got Sean, who's in the corner, living and dying and just screaming at every play. I mean, just saying ungodly things to the ref. You got Hauser, who's just a pessimistic Ohio State fan, which I didn't know they existed because you're Ohio State. And then you got Tom, who's just a combination of both. I mean, he just wants them to win. Every game matters. We were up in um, Colin drove through Columbus and he uh, spent one night with us. And I forget who they were playing. I think it was like, it might've been Purdue. They were up by like 35 in the, like the first 20 minutes of the game and something happened. And Tom is still screaming and yelling. I go, you're up 35. Like the game's over. And it's like, it doesn't matter. And it's like, it's so much fun to watch with fans like that. It's just so much fun. And I, I want to experience that. I want to come back and I want to watch them play Alabama with my friends. Cause last year when I watched them, I, I watched the Clemson game with them. It was one of the first times I watched them watch a, like a big Ohio state game. And it was so much fun just being in, you know, just being there, just everybody's like, albeit they were angry, they were upset, but like the energy in those rooms is unmatched. And that's one of the things that I've missed. That's one of the things I like about March madness. It's just, 
the energy. It's the energy that you get around these fandoms. I watched, I mean, and again, I, it is going to sound weird. It's going to sound real weird because it is weird. I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I'm a mess, but I look back at the uh, mini, I watched the clip of the Minneapolis miracle when Stefan Diggs caught that pass and he went streaking down. And then afterwards, the entire stadium started doing that skull chant. And just you watch it, and you're just like, unreal. God, I miss sports. It's unreal. I just miss it so much. I just miss, like, the environment of 40,000 people, like, just screaming, skull, skull. I mean, just it, it brought a tear to my eye. It's like, I miss it so much. And just having a piece of that. In that, like being in your living room, being around people that are passionate is it's one of the greatest feelings in the world, even when it's not your team. It's it's more nerve wracking when it is your team. But when you can sit there almost fly on the wall to people that are, you know, you call your close friends and they get to experience that and they get to be the ones that are all in and all out, out about it. It's just so much fun. I completely agree. I'm so excited for it. Um, Colin is not an Ohio State fan. He's neutral. He's neutral. He's, I mean, he's, he's a West neutral. Virginia fan. Yeah. So it really is just going to be the three like of me. us. Oh, yeah, that's right. West Virginia. Well, it's really just going to be the three of us and Connor. Connor's going to be the one wearing an Ohio State jersey or something. And he's the yeah. one that's going to be mumbling at the TV. And it's really just going to be the three of us uh, spectating. And, and just being there for the, for the game itself. And I'm just so excited for it. I'm super excited. So um, for any of the listeners, if you've got thoughts on the game, um, predictions, anything like that, tweet them at us. Um, we're excited to hear it. Go vote in those polls. And we're excited to see how these games play out. And it's just going to be the end of a long season with countless, countless sacrifices and precautions just to make sure we got a season off the ground and this is going to be the culmination of it so it's going to be so exciting and, and the beauty about it is we just went a whole thing and we didn't even mention like the Heisman's going out we like for one of the first times in a couple of years we don't know who the Heisman's going to be like we really don't know like most times you like it's pretty clear who the Heisman's going to be this year a wide receiver might win the Heisman that hasn't happened in like since Desmond Howard who wasn't really even a wide receiver Devontae Smith is one of those Deshaun Watson guys to me. He's just one of those guys that, like, I will never count him out. Same with Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry went in the second round of the NFL draft, but I was like, you got to watch. He's just one of those guys, like, he just knows how to win. He's got that it thing about him, and that's what Devontae Smith has for me. He's got that, I don't care who he is. I don't care what he has to do. Like, he's going to make plays. And he's going to make plays when they need to be done. He's going to make clutch first downs. He's going to streak down the field. Like he's so electric. And I think he's going to be an excellent pro, an excellent pro. And I hope he wins because you don't see a wide receiver win it. It's a, I mean, it's a, now it's a quarterback and it used to be a running back um, award. Seeing a wide receiver win it would be so fitting for this year too. This weird, weird year that we had, it would be so predictable and i saw some just awful tweets about it some people were like like you can't give it to a wide receiver you should get it to trevor lawrence trevor lawrence because of all the stuff he's done in previous years it's like a career achievement award i was like get the hell out of here with that get out of here you moron you absolute moron 
and like Jeremy said, uh, please reach out to us. Um, I will keep my DMs open if oh, any Ohio State fans want to cuss me out and um, call me an idiot, call me worse for you know disparaging the great big scarlet and gray. Uh, I'll be it. I'll talk it. I'll say it how it is. I th- I think it could get ugly, but you know, go go Ohio State. I'm rooting for him because Trevor Lawrence. He's nothing. Well, that's a good way to wrap it up. Um, controversial, controversial in the end. <laughs> controversial and incendiary. It's very, so, very incendiary. Very, very fitting. 